Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. All right, well, we are wrapping up our series today called More Than Conquerors. We looked at several different topics. We've looked at the topic of doubt. We've looked at how God equips us, Jesus equips us to face fear. We talked about letting go of worry. And these past two weeks, we've been looking at the topic of stress, how God gives us different gifts to endure stress. Stress, as we know, never really goes away for good. We're always going to experience stress to some varying degree at different times. And um, I want to just do a quick review of these these different gifts that God gives us to endure stress. I want to uh, open it up, uh, see, see how well you've been listening the last couple weeks and uh, how much you remember. Um, so far, we've looked at two gifts that God has given us to endure stress. And I'll give you a hint here. Uh, both of them start with S. And this is an easy way for you. I want to give you an easy way for you to remember these gifts that God gives us to endure stress. So think of the word stress, S-T-R-E-S-S, right? How many S's are in stress? Three. There's three S's in stress. And we are looking at Three S's, three gifts that God has given us to endure stress. So, so far we've covered two of them. So what is the first one? What is the first gift that God has given us to endure stress that we looked at a couple weeks ago? Who remembers that one? Who's got it? Who someone said it? Sabbath. That's right. Okay. So the first week we looked at the gift of Sabbath. Thank you, Julia. You were paying attention. We talked about how God has given us that as a gift. He set an example for us after the six days of creation. It says that God rested. He didn't need to rest, but he wanted to take a step back and enjoy his creation. And he also wanted to set an example for us. He knew that we would need rest. And he designed it so that we would have a 24-hour period of time where we rest from our labors. Now, we haven't always done a good job keeping that gift or keeping that command but it's something that is a need of ours and we regularly need to take time to rest from our work and that work can look different um, for all of us some for some of us it actually is rest from our actual jobs from our careers for some uh, maybe it's resting from volunteering for some of you who are retired maybe it's resting from just kind of the worries and cares of the world maybe it means turning the news off um, so there's a lot of different ways that uh, God wants us to rest from our work and from the worries and concerns of life what was the second S, the second gift we looked at last week. It actually has two words to it, but I think someone said it. Who remembers from last week? Solitude, okay? Silence and solitude, right? We looked at the example of Jesus, how he got up early that next morning after he had had a very busy and likely very stressful and emotionally draining day of ministry as he tended to people's needs, as he performed miracles. That very next day he got up early while it was still dark and he went off to a desolate place, it said. And the purpose for which he 
went there was to connect with his heavenly father, to spend time in prayer and how he has then set an example for us. And it doesn't always have to be that we have to get up early, bright and early in the morning. doesn't mean that we have to go off to a desolate place, but God has designed us with that need to connect with him. And in doing so, in When we spend that time in silence and that time alone with God in prayer, just bringing our worries and our cares and our concerns to him, we find rest and we find uh, relief from our stress because we can place those burdens right before him and right before his feet. And so silence and then a second, um, sorry, Sabbath and then solitude and silence. And then the third S that we're looking at today is surrender. This is the the third gift that God gives us to endure stress. Now, you might think that's a little bit odd. You might not think of surrender as rest. We don't often think of surrender as something positive. We think of surrender often as giving up. But what we're going to see today is that Jesus actually invites us. He invites us to surrender and the most beautiful and in the most gracious way. And one of the primary reasons that we face stress is because of the heavy loads that we carry. And in our stubborn human nature, and I'm sure you can probably relate to this, we often think we can do it all. Or I can trudge through this. I can carry this weight. I can bear this stress. And then what ends up happening is we end up carrying much of the weight of the world upon our shoulders. And in many ways, we end up carrying weights that we were never meant to bear. I mentioned the book a couple weeks ago, Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge. Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. Again, I highly recommend the book. I think you'll find it uh, encouraging, um, especially as it relates to stress in our lives. But he says this, he said, you've got to release the world. You've got to release people, crises, trauma, intrigue, all of it. There has to be some time in your day where you just let it all go. And we talked about this last week in silence and solitude before God, time where we just let it all go before God. He says, all the tragedy of the world, the heartbreak, the latest shooting or earthquake, says the soul was never meant to bear this. The soul was never meant to inhabit a world like this. It's way too much. Your soul is inf- your soul is finite. You cannot carry the sorrows of the world. Only God can do that. Only he is infinite. And somewhere, sometime in your day, you've just got to release it. You've got to let it go. There's a song about that, right? Not encouraging you to think about letting go in the sense of frozen, a character in frozen, but to let it all go, to surrender to God and to find rest in him. So how do we do that? How do we let it go before God? Well, Jesus tells us exactly how. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew 11. 28 through 30, Jared uh, alluded to this a few moments ago with the kids, but Matthew 11, 28 
28 through 30, and there are Bibles um, kind of scattered throughout the sanctuary. encourage you to open up the scriptures, whether it's uh, in a Bible uh, under the chair or your own Bible that you brought with you, or maybe pulling one up on your phone. So Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Listen to this great invitation that Jesus gives us. Starting at verse 28, the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would take these words, these words that Jesus spoke, this beautiful, gracious invitation of Jesus to come to him, those of us who labor and are heavy laden or weighed down by different weights, whether it's the weight of the world or the weight of our sin, whatever it might be, each one of us are likely carrying different burdens even today with us to this worship service. And I pray that you would help us to heed these words of Christ and to receive this invitation to come to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would like to say here that this invitation of Jesus is an invitation to an easy life. Wouldn't that be awesome? This is not the invitation necessarily that he gives. It's not just an invitation to a carefree life in the sense of being, as we say, footloose and fancy free, right? Just kind of not a care in the world. I can just go off and do whatever I want and not worry about anything in this life. But that's not what Jesus is offering here. Jesus invites us here to surrender our worries, to surrender our fears like we've talked about, to surrender our doubts, to surrender our stress. And ironically, ironically, in surrendering, what do we find? In surrendering, we find rest. In surrendering, we find freedom. We often do not associate surrender with freedom. But that's what we find in Jesus, and that's what Jesus offers us as we surrender to him. You see, Jesus lifts burdens from our souls. Our souls can get so easily weighed down, and I believe, I believe that the worst kind of sickness that we can experience is when our souls are sick. When our souls are not at peace, then our whole lives, our whole being is shaken. The reason I believe this is because of what David says, what King David says in Psalm 42, verse 5. He speaks to his own soul. Listen to the words of King David in Psalm 42. He asks this question. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 6 Psalm 42, he says, my soul is cast down within me. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
Life can feel that way sometimes, can't it? That those waves and those breakers crashing over us and we feel like we're bearing the weight of the world. But what Jesus invites us to is to surrender. And in in that surrender, he lifts burdens from our souls. And so what are the burdens that Jesus lifts from our souls? I want to look at three of them today. Three burdens that Jesus lifts from our souls. And the first is he lifts the burden of perfectionism. Who is this invitation for? Verse 28, Jesus says, this the invitation, come to me all who labor. Who are those who labor? And what is Jesus referring to? Here, Jesus is speaking of all those who are trying to work out their salvation. Those who are working tirelessly, endlessly to earn favor with, the, with God. Those who think, surely, surely if I just do good enough, if I do the right things, if I follow the law to a T, if I be a good person, then God is going to be pleased with me. Sadly, many have been trapped into this thinking. And you might be, some of you might be sitting here today, well, I've, I've heard this message before. I, I know that I can't save myself. And many of you probably know that and believe that. And maybe many of you know it, but maybe have never believed it. And the reason why I say that is because of what studies show. And listen to this. This is uh, uh, on ChristianPost.com. You can look it up later. But listen to this, less than half of U.S. Christians expect to experience eternal salvation because of their confession of sin and acceptance of Christ as their Savior. It says, while a larger number of professing Christians believe that good works will get them into heaven. That's what a new survey has found. A larger number of professing Christians believing that good works will get them into heaven. One study in particular found that a majority of people, 52% of people who describe themselves as Christians accept a works-oriented means to God's acceptance. And in contrast, only 46% who describe themselves as Christians expect to experience salvation because of the confession of sin and because of acceptance of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What is the truth of the matter? The truth is that no one can ever be good enough in God's sight. Because God is perfect and because God is holy. He does not allow sin into his presence. And this is review for many of you. Maybe this is new to some of you, but he does not allow sin in his presence. And so the only way that anyone can ever earn God's love or earn their salvation is by being perfect. And this is here the trap of perfectionism. And Satan would like us to think that there is something that we can contribute. Satan would like us to believe that it's possible 
to be perfect when really it isn't. This is the trap of perfectionism, that the more that we strive for perfection in believing, if I just do the right things, what's going to happen? The more we're going to work, the more burdened we're going to feel. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. It says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who never sins. God says to us, Jesus invites us here to stop striving. Stop trying to be perfect. Romans 3, it says there is none righteous, not one. But there is one who was perfect. And that one is the one speaking in Matthew 11. It says right here, Come to me, all who labor. Those of you who continually strive to earn God's favor. This is what he says. I've already done it. I've already been perfect for you. I did what you could not do. And the invitation that he gives is to come and to find rest. I will give you rest. So often we think that it's the broken. It's we often think that it's those that are caught up in, in dark, visible sins that are invited, that Jesus invites, that need this rest. And that's true of them, too. But it's not just the broken. It's those that are continually striving. Because in the end, how does perfectionism work out? Has perfectionism ever worked out for anybody I know I find that the more I try and the more I try to be perfect, the more I try to follow God's commands to a T, the more exhausted I get, the more self-defeated I become. And so first, Jesus gives rest. He lifts the burden of perfectionism. What's the next burden that he lifts? He, he lifts the burden of of performance. He also gives this invitation, it says, to those who are heavy laden, those who have been loaded down. Who is he talking about here? He's talking about those who have let others load them down with what they think is going to help them earn God's favor. Or maybe what they think is going to earn them favor before other men with what they think is going to secure rest and give them satisfaction in this life. One of the things that we've been trying to teach our kids, and they would probably tell you this, is that whatever any one of us can do well, someone else out there can probably do it better. No matter how well we do at something, there's somebody out there that is going to do it better than us. The other trap that we fall into is this trap of performance. Especially the trap as it concerns 
comparison. We, we continually compare ourselves to others. We do this in the things of the world, about what we have, the pursuits in life, our success in life, how well we're performing in our job, how well we're performing in school. We do that all the time. But we do that spiritually too, don't we? This was the trap that the Pharisees fell into in Jesus' day. I want you to look with me, if you would, fast forward in your Bible to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, Jesus here is warning his disciples of this trap of performance and the pressures, the, the worldly pressures that can be placed upon them. Matthew 23, starting at verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, starting in verse 2, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. So he's saying, you know, the law of God never goes away. And so, yeah, you need to listen to these religious leaders because they're communicating Moses' law, the the law that God gave to Moses. So do, he says, verse 3, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad. Phylacteries were small leather boxes that contained scripture. He says, and their fringes long. These fringes were tassels that had blue strands that Jews would attach to the corners of their robes to remind, remind them of the commandments. Verse 6, he says, They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. I love how he points that out. As we look around, look around at everyone around you, Guys, all brothers and sisters here, what he's saying is there is an equal level playing field. No one of us is better than the other. We are all precious equally in God's sight. We're all equally sinful in God's sight as well. Verse 9 says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, for the religious leaders of Jesus' day, it was all for show. It was all about their performance. I want to ask you today, in what ways are you carrying the burden of performance? Thinking, well, 
I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to act a certain way, I need to look a certain way or say certain things. And, and I know many believers in Jesus that can easily get weighed down because maybe they don't think that they know enough about the Bible. Maybe they don't even know exactly where to turn in the Bible. And we say, open up your Bibles, turn to Matthew, whatever. I, I'm just learning this. I don't know. I don't know where it's at. And then we have to live up to these expectations in the Christian realm, in the Christian world, that we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, say certain things. Jesus wants to lift that burden from each one of us. This is what he is essentially saying. He's saying, I already performed for you. What you couldn't perform. In the same way that you couldn't be perfect, I was perfect for you. And in the way that you couldn't perform, I performed. But how did he perform that? When he talks about being humble and gentle in heart. We know from Philippians 2, it says that he was humble and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how he performed for us. So we don't have to put on a show. We don't have to labor endlessly living up to just simply the expectations of those around us. We don't have to live up to this expectation of being perfect in God's sight because Jesus already became perfect for us. He already performed perfectly for us when he went to the cross for our sins. That's what he's talking about when he invites us to come to him and surrender and, and, and to bring our, our, our burdens before him. And release them before him. So first, the, the burden of perfectionism. Second, the burden of performance. And third, he lifts the burden of the past. How much of your past might you be carrying with you from day to day? There are different ways that we can do this. Some, when you maybe think of your past, if you're a believer in Jesus, maybe it's a dark past. And maybe there are certain burdens from that past that continue to haunt you. Or certain sins or addictions maybe that you've fallen into that Satan loves to continue to come and accuse and, and point fingers at you. Maybe it's different failures in your life. But on the other hand, for some people it might be the past of self-righteousness. There's many of us that can relate to that. Maybe there's not a dark past in the sense of how we would typically see it or maybe how the world would see it. But it might be a past of self-righteousness, of thinking that I have done good enough. I have done the right things. I have lived up to certain expectations. Jesus 
says in verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because what we've all done, what's all, what's part of the past of each one of us is some kind of yoke. And we're going to talk about what a yoke is, but some kind of yoke. It might be the yoke of, of a dark past. For others, it might be the yoke of doing the right things. What was a yoke? What is Jesus talking about? A yoke was a heavy crossbar that was laid upon two oxen. And this yoke would force them to then drag farm equipment behind them across the field. And this imagery here would have really resonated to those that Jesus was speaking to. Jewish rabbis would would often speak of the yoke of the law. They referred to this yoke, they saw it as something that was glorious. This was a glorious obedience to God. And they believed that this yoke of the law, if you would follow it, would free people from the obligations of the world. They believed that this yoke, this yoke of the law would give people rest. If you would just follow these laws, then you'll be good. Jesus refers to that yoke, that load, as a heavy load. He says to his disciples, and he says to us, here, let me take that load from you. Verse 30, he replaces it. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus giving us? Jesus isn't promising us or giving us a life that is free of pain or free of hardship. But what he's saying is that I have carried the heaviest load for you. And that, yeah, you're going to still face the load of pain, the load of suffering, but I'm going to help you carry it. And that load, that yoke of sin, that is the heaviest load, I have removed that from you. Just simply come to me. I've already carried that heavy load for you. Just this past week, I had a a situation that I think illustrates this a little bit. So in our sanctuary here, we have a lady that comes to clean every week, and she she mops the floor every week. And not too long ago, there was a group from the Simbradoris Church that meets here uh, at 2 o'clock every Sunday. Uh, a couple weeks ago, some of them came on, I was happened to be here on a Saturday evening, and some of them uh, came in to start doing some cleaning. And I noticed that they were mopping the floor. And so the cleaning lady would come on Friday, and then they would come on Saturday and mop the floor again. <laughs> and so yesterday, I happened to be here when they came, and they were about to start mopping. And I said, you know... Um, there's a lady that comes here on Fridays. I think that she goes to your church. She already mopped for you. Like, 
oh, really? Okay. And, and so I, to, to this day, I don't even know how, how far back that goes. I think that the, the floor has been mopped on Friday and on Saturday. So you can rest assured that these floors have been cleaned plenty. But I thought about that as it relates to what Jesus has already carried for us. And, and, and yet there's something in our human nature that continues to strive toward perfection when we know that we cannot achieve perfection. Now, we do need to yield to the Holy Spirit. As followers of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and all of those things that are good. But that's produced by the Holy Spirit in us. It's not produced in ourselves. And if we try to produce that in ourselves, if we seek perfection in ourselves, we will never get there. Jesus has released that burden, a performance of of, of comparing to others. I've got to admit myself, this even applies to me as a pastor in a church setting. It's pretty easy to look around at other churches and what other churches have going on or, or maybe go on different websites and what's this church doing? What's that church doing? And, and then sometimes you kind of get this feeling, oh, okay, well, I, I think we're doing better in that area. And then others, oh, man, they're, they're, they're way ahead of us in that area. I, I, I'm not kidding. This is just part of our human nature to compare. How might someone else be performing better? But Jesus has released that burden from us. He's released this burden of the past. And, and, and again, maybe that past is some kind of sin that continues to haunt you. Or maybe that past, for some of you, might be that past of, of self-righteousness, thinking that there's something that I can do to earn God's love, something that I can do, something more I need to do to earn God's love. Jesus says, and I want to encourage us to think about it this way. Imagine Jesus asking you regularly, Chad, when did I ever require you to blank? When did I ever require you to perform in a way that someone else has? When did I ever require you to pursue perfection in your life? The beautiful thing is that Jesus, because he's already done it for us, no longer requires it, and instead gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us, to then produce those good works. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then he says, but you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But guess what? The saving comes first. That rest comes first. Then we're free after we've surrendered, 
after we have received that, after we've been set free, we then are free to do what he's designed us to do. Jesus says, I've already carried the weight of the world. I've carried that cross up the hill, up to a hill called Calvary. And on that cross, I bore the sins of of all mankind, the heaviest weight that this world has ever known. I'm going to invite the team up right now. And as we're about to sing, I hear the words of this song, the song called Come to the Altar. This song really is a song of invitation. It's a song of what Jesus is inviting us to here. That we can come and surrender before him. Come and lay down our burdens. And I don't know what it is for each of you, one of these burdens that we've looked at, burden of perfectionism or performance, comparing with others. Maybe it's a burden in your past that you've needlessly been carrying around with you. Jesus wants to give you rest in what he has already done for you. So what I want to encourage you to do right now is, as the team leads us in this song, you can sing along, you can sit and reflect, you can just sit and hear these words of invitation. Pray silently before God. The altar area is always open. You can come on up. Maybe you're in need of prayer. Maybe you're in need of someone to guide you and and, and help you to release those burdens before Christ. This area is open. You can do that right where you're sitting. But just sit and and listen to these words. Listen to these words of invitation.